You don't get what's fair, you get what you negotiate. Negotiate this, the podcast. If you've invested the petrol, the least you can do is ask for the order. With Steve Jones. Have you ever been in a situation where you've thought, I hope they don't say that, or please don't say that, and you know they're going to? Why don't you actually just rehearse what you're going to say rather than sit there looking like a rabbit in the headlights? Today, who is worth selling to? I read this book called High Probability Selling, and it was uh, 300 pages long, but it only had one message in it, which was, if they don't want what you've got now at the price you want to sell it for, they're low probability. And I thought, oh yeah, I wish I'd thought about that a a few years ago. Following on from that, how many times have you come across customers who say things like, we're very happy with our current supplier, and, and however good you are, they're low probability. And it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have anything to do with them, but it does mean you shouldn't waste an inordinate amount of time. I see loads of people chasing these sort of mythical big customers, which is going to change their business beyond recognition, but they're never going to get it. I remember a few years ago, I had a food brokerage selling into the grocery trade, and I I was trying to sell jam to one of the big supermarket chains. And it was, I mean, it was a holy grail type of thing. If you got it, it would have been it would have been transformational for the business. And I used to go and see the buyer and he would say, yeah, that jam's great. It needs to be more red. So I'd get in my car and I'd go back up the M54 to North Wales and I'd sit down with the technical director and we'd take it down and it'd be more red. And I'd go back to see him and he'd say, that's brilliant. Needs a bit less sugar in. So I'd drive back up to North Wales. And this went on for about 18 months. And in the end, his name was Richard, this guy. And I thought, I can't I can't carry on doing this. I'm just losing the will to live. And I just said to him, look, Richard, just tell me, if this is something you're not interested in, it is fine, right? Because then we can all stop wasting a load of time on it. Um, and my kids are still going to eat. It'll be disappointing if we don't get it, but, but I'll get over it really, really quickly. And he said, no, 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 Steve, it's absolutely fine. It just needs to be a bit more red. And at that point, I thought, it's probably better that I use my energy somewhere else. So so just because they're big and it looks like they're worth chasing, don't spend your time chasing them. And while we're on the subject, what about when they say to you, send samples and prices? Now, I work for three out of the top four supermarket chains. And to be honest, unless you've sent in £10 notes for a fiver, I think you're wasting your money sending people samples and prices because most of them either go home with the secretaries or they go in the bin. If it's not worth them spending their time to see you, I'd venture to suggest that you should actually save your money. I work with this guy called Adam who was he was an absolute legend and he never used to send samples or prices, but he would phone up the buyers, and I'm not suggesting you should lie to customers, obviously, because that would be a bad thing to do, but he'd phone up the buyers and he would say, did you get my samples? And they said, oh no. And you could tell that he'd never actually sent them. And he'd always get in to see them after he'd said he'd already sent them. I suppose if you're the Sainsbury's account manager for Heinz and you've only got one customer, you probably need to adopt different strategies. But for the rest of us, we probably need to get a bit more brutal about how we're gonna spend our time and what actually constitutes a decent prospective customer. I don't know if you've noticed, but Some customers can just be a complete dream to deal with. And there are some where their phone number comes up on your mobile and your heart just 
sinks and you think it's going to ruin your day. I think it's probably worth having a good look at what causes these two particular reactions. And what I tend to do is I tend to classify customers based on two criteria. One is what my strategic fit is and my understanding of their business. And the other one is the financial impact of dealing with them. So grab a piece of paper and draw yourself a two by two box. And on the vertical axis, write strategic fit and understanding. And on the horizontal axis, write financial impact. So when we look at the financial impact, there are five things which we're going to consider. Right. So the first one is short term sales. Are they a customer who we can sell stuff to quickly? Now, that's becoming increasingly hard to do, and it's becoming increasingly hard to do at a profit. But there are still some customers out there who we can sell stuff to quickly. The second one is, is there a potential for selling them a lot in the long term? So they're worth investing some time in as well. The third one is profit. Are we likely to make any money out of them? And one of the things that I always try to remind myself is selling more products below cost doesn't actually help. So it's actually important to make money on them all. The fourth is how risky are they? My rule of thumb is once any customer accounts for more than 30% of your business, you then become dependent on them. And that is an inherently dangerous position to be in. So, And also things to consider in how risky are they is what happens if they don't pay you? And uh, you've seen some pretty high profile casualties. And I remember, I think it was my dad that used to say to me, remember, Stephen, things aren't sold until they've been paid for. I thought, I think it's probably wise words. I wish I'd listened to him. Um, And also, the other thing in terms of risk is if they do stop dealing with you, have you got to get rid of people? Because that can often be absolutely devastating for organisations. And the fifth one, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of ways to say this without it looking in the slightest bit anti-competitive, but I'm sure you'll know what I mean, is what's the impact going to be on the marketplace if you pick up this piece of business? So if your customers find out that you've started supplying a different company, what sort of view are they going to take on it? With the current regulatory environment, there's no way that they'll front you out and tell you not to deal with people, but they may decide that that's, uh, they may take a dim view on that. Uh, and the other thing to do is if you take business off of one of your big competitors, what's the likely impact going to be when they found out? Are they going to go then and chase around your business in lots and lots of other customers? So moving on to the strategic fit and understanding, the first question I would ask is, how well do we understand a decision process? Can you give me a written description of exactly how their decisions are made? Not roughly, exactly how the decisions are made. Second thing is, are we likely to get any economies of scale by dealing with them? So if all your fixed costs are already covered by your existing business, what you can afford to do is you can probably afford to sell to new customers at a slightly lower margin, which is, uh, I would speculate, is what happened when Aldi and Lidl came into the UK. The third thing to consider is how easy are they to sell to? If you look at where the German discounters have done really, really well, their business model is such that they take large quantities of very limited numbers of lines. So for manufacturers, they are highly profitable. The fourth one is what's our relationship like with them? Is it a reasonably collaborative relationship and do we get on well with them? And the fifth one is, do we have a cultural match? So do they believe the same things that are important 
that we do. So, for instance, if we're desperately trying to do whatever we can to minimise our damage to the environment, are they trying to do the same thing? Or do they not care? Is it all about money? So is there a cultural fit? So take your diagram that you drew up earlier and divide it into four boxes because that's what you're going to use to classify your potential targets. You've got a score between 0 and 100 for strategic fit and understanding, and you've got a score between 0 and 100 for financial impact. Now plot where that would be on your graph, then divide it into four boxes. Now the bottom left-hand box is one which has low financial impact, there's low strategic fit, you don't really understand it, it could best be described as unprofitable and transactional, and I think I'll put in that box, get shot of them. I don't think we probably need to explain that anymore. In the box to the right of that, so that's the bottom right-hand box, your strategy there should be to get more information. They might be worth pursuing and they might not, but you don't know yet because you don't have enough information from them. The top left-hand box I would call hold, and what you have to be careful of here is because it's a very, very friendly, nicey-nicey, you're comfortable with them, they're comfortable with you, you run the risk here of over-allocating resources and spending too much time with them. Moving on to the top right-hand box, these are the ones that we should actively target. This is the ones where you're going to get the best return from the time and the resources, and it's going to make the maximum difference to your business. That's the one you should be chasing after. Negotiate This is a Loading Zone production. 